Twitter.com. You're watching AM2DM. I'm Hayes Brown, joined here by our favorite Aussie, Amber Jamison. Yes, I said favorite, David, if you're watching. I don't want to be judged purely by my citizenship, mm -hmm. but if it comes to beating David Mack in something, I'm okay with it. As you should be. Mm. And it's nice to be back in the building mm -hmm. since yesterday we had to flee for our lives. Our very lives. Yesterday, the BuzzFeed newsroom had a bit of a malfunction during the heavy raids here in New York. Page Six actually covered the deluge, where they suggested BuzzFeed add frogs, locusts, and fiery hail damage to its insurance policy. And of course, as journalists, we extensively covered it, so both <laughs> for ourselves and, you know, our Instagram stories. So here's a collection um, of the videos. Oh my god, take a look at just how bad this was. There was <laughs> rain pouring from the ceiling. So where were you, Hayes? I was at my computer, and that first First leak started and we thought, okay, you know what, fine, sure, a little bit of water coming down. We can get through this, guys. But then, chaos, madness in the newsroom. It was just pouring, everyone was pouring, putting up plastic over their computers. Before grabbing. we were told to yes. run away, flee. Get, just to get out of the newsroom and not work there for the rest of the day. Where were you? I was actually eating lunch and I opened Twitter and saw all of the pictures and was like, uh-oh, I uh, guess I should go grab my wallet and laptop and phone and get out Probably. of here. Probably. But Steven Perlberg, our media reporter, had this tweet. Folks, most newsrooms would kill for leaks like this. Uh -huh. ba dum dum Thank you, Steven. <laughs> thank you, sound effects crew. That's amazing. <laughs> Moving on to our first story of the day. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met with South Korean President Moon Jae-in for the third time on Wednesday. Standing side by side, the two said they're moving forward in a new era of peace and prosperity for Korea. And they also announced they're going to put together a joint Korea bid for hosting the 2032, so a couple of years from now, a Olympics. Few. So Hayes, your Deputy World News Editor, mm. this is your wheelhouse. Yes. Was the third meeting, you know, is three times the charm, third time the charm? Is this now going to have peace in the Koreas? I mean, that's a... Bit of a stretch, if you ask me. I mean, things are definitely going better than they were in years past between the two Koreas, but this wasn't like the big breakthrough. This was not the moment that I feel like a lot of people are waiting for with the Koreas. But did the meeting kind of have any results come out of it? I mean, yeah, there were some results that happened here. I mean, there was the Olympic bid, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, North Korea promised that it would shut down a missile, its main missile testing site, okay. uh, in front of international experts. Uh, and they also said that they would shut down their main nuclear uh, testing site if the U.S. takes a reciprocal act, but no one is really sure what that, what means, that means right now. And, you know, last time that North Korea promised to blow up one of its missile sites, that was a little bit, like, overblown. So is something going to change with this one? Yeah, so earlier this year there was uh, either a missile site or a nuclear testing site that North Korea said, you know what, fine, we're going to get rid of this so that you can see that we're very serious about these talks. They detonated something, but it was Who knows ex what? experts <laughs> but experts afterwards said no, this was only surface level, that was very cosmetic. They didn't go deep enough to actually destroy their facility. But this time they're inviting international experts to be on hand instead of just journalists. So they might be able to more quickly say yes, that was legit or mm, not so much, guys. Well, fair enough. And Trump tweeted this out today, quoting Fox News. North Korea recommits to denuclearization. We've come a long way. Do you think that's actually the case? 
Or is this a pretty rosy view? So the Trump administration's view of denuclearization has been kind of spotty this whole time. After the first uh, Trump-Kim meeting, there was no real, like nothing put on paper to really hold North Korea to as far as denuclearization goes. So there, this could be a case where they're you know, verbally recommitting to the denuclearization process, right. but no one really knows what that process is or even what the end goal is going to be, because that's one place where Pyongyang and Washington still don't really line up together. Are we expecting them to have a meeting again? So Kim has said that he wants to meet with Trump right. again, which you know makes total sense. The last time was like a huge PR coup for North Korea. Trump clearly loved it. So who knows? Trump could announce today, guess what, guys? I'm meeting with the chairman again. And everyone will just go, oh, I guess he's meeting with the chairman again. So we'll have to wait and see on whether that comes to fruition at this point. Well, one of the things they're looking for is a 2032 bid. Yeah. That's a while away, mm -hmm. thankfully. Thankfully. Hopefully a lot may have changed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Does, does Korea, do the Koreas have a shot at the, getting the Olympics? I mean, they could. The IOC is a really strange creature that works as far as a lot right. of outside observers can tell, mostly through shenanigans and bribery. Um, like all sports. Like, yeah, like all sports, really. Uh, so they it, they could have a shot. It's so long from The question is, would they really want it? Right. The Olympics really take a lot out of a country's mm -hmm. infrastructure, and there's all these projects left lying around afterwards. So is that really the look you want when you're trying to Reestablish that sort of tight connection? I don't know. Mm. Well, putting together a bid uh, for the Koreas is going to be like a university group project on steroids. Mm -hmm. All of these groups working together. So, Twitter, we want to hear from you. What is the worst group project you've ever had to work on? <laughs> Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. What about you? What's the worst group project? Uh, I can't think of a specific example myself right now. I just know that in college, I was always the one who was like, I'm, I'm smart enough. I don't need the group for this. I'll just do my part of it. And you know what? We'll put it all together at the end and it'll be fine. How about you? Well, see, I love people like you because I instead wouldn't do much, but would come along, be very bossy at the meeting, and then uh, just claim all the credit. So. Yeah, that's fair. So moving right along, Hurricane Florence has devastated the Carolinas in the last week, killing at least 34 people and causing widespread flooding. But there's one serious hurricane issue people might not be aware of. Pig poop. Wait, pig poop? Is, mm -hmm. that, is that actually what I should have been reading? Yeah, no, it's correct because, yes, there's literally lagoons of hog waste overflowing and causing issues in North Carolina. And right now we've got my desk buddy, breaking news reporter and hogspurt, Tasneem Nashrullah joining us now. Hi, Tasneem. Hi, Amber. Hi, Hib. So, Tasneem, we don't want to make light of the hurricane, but if you could please describe for me in graphic detail these poop lagoons and exactly how they work. And go. <laughs> okay, so um, North Carolina actually has 9 million swine, which is uh, pretty much more than the human population of New York City. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, they have around 2,000 uh, hog farms and around 3,300 of hog waste lagoons. So, um, basically, what happens is that these hogs are housed in facilities which have slats in the floor where through which their, you know, their shit and urine can, like, flow down into pipes. And then it flows out into these huge, um, like, earthen pits. Uh, some of which are bigger than football fields. Um, 
which are what they call the lagoons. Now, um, the waste is basically contained in these lagoons, which have like berms on on each side to you know pr protect them from rainwater, especially during hurricanes. And uh, the lagoons are in North Carolina are supposed to have a buffer of about 19 inches um, to you know to allow for rainwater. Now, what happens is that the waste, uh, which is basically the hog shit and urine. Uh, is allowed to decompose and, uh, you know, with the help of bacteria and then is sprayed as fertilizer on crops. Okay, so what are the current conditions of these lagoons and why are environmentalists kind of worried about them? Okay, so because of Hurricane Florence, um, as of now, the, the latest numbers from yesterday, um, there, as I said before, there are 3,300 lagoons. Of these, two have been breached. Uh, which means that they're basically the walls have given way and can no longer hold the, the contents of the lagoon. Uh, two others have structural damage. It's not clear what the extent of the damage is. Around 13 other lagoons have overflowed um, and nine have been inundated with flood water. And around 30 are on the verge of overflowing, which means that they have no buffer left anymore and 25 more are also very close to overflowing because they have like zero to three inches of buffer left. Um, and what happens when a lagoon breaches, which means its walls give way, is that this mass, these massive amounts of untreated hog waste are basically spilling out into the environment and entering the storm water. Mm. Now, the... The, the, they carry, the waste carries obviously dangerous pathogens like, you know, E. coli and salmonella. Mm -hmm. And so residents who like live near these facilities, um, you know, and come into contact with the stormwater are basically exposed to these pathogens, which is obviously a huge health hazard. Um, also, the, the waste, you know, once it spills over, it enters the waterways of the, the area, the streams, the rivers. Uh, it carries a lot of pollutants, it raises the levels of phosphorus and nitrogen, it causes these like toxic algae blooms and fish kills. So that's why environmentalists are really concerned when, you know, these lagoons overflow and, and get breached. But what about the hog farmers and the National Pork Council? What do they say about the risk of, uh, you know, hog waste lagoons overflowing during a hurricane? Right. So, so the North Carolina Pork Council obviously has the industry's interest at heart. Um, they are often at loggerheads with the environmental activists. They say, you know, these activists always sort of exaggerate or overblow and provide like misleading narratives about the risks of these lagoons. They've basically said that, you know, they don't believe that Hurricane Florence has widely impacted, you know, the state's 3,300 lagoons. Um, and, you know, they also say that even in cases where the lagoons breach or overflow, um, they are designed in such a way that the solids are stored and remain at the bottom of the lagoon and the liquids at the top are heavily diluted, uh, which minimizes their environmental impact. So they're obviously sort of downplaying the whole risk of, you know, how sort of toxic and dangerous the, the lagoons overflow can be. Well, hopefully it's not too bad, and I appreciate how many times you said pig shit then. Um, and Tasneem, thank you, as always, for your crap reporting. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and up next, it's time for Fire Tweets.
And we are back for some fire tweets. Amber, are you ready to press the fire tweets button? I'm a little nervous about pressing really? the button. I hit it really let, like hard in rehearsal, so oh, no. <laughs> I'm a little worried about it. But you can I'm be excited. gentle. You can be gentle about I'll the be fire gentle. tweets. I'll, okay. I'll give it a gentle tap. Give it a try. All right. Well, first one up is a tweet from Lucy. <laughs> Editor, could you write me three thousand words in the next two days about a thing you know nothing about? Mm -hmm. Me, no problem. I'll get right on it. Editor, also, you just need to scan one form onto your computer and email it to me in order to get paid. Me, I can't ever complete that task. That wounds me so much, because the little things are always the hardest. It's the hardest. I have to send a check to pay a bill, mm -hmm. and I haven't done it for months. Oh, you're going to be arrested. Just, I'm pretty sure that's how that works in America. You have to have like an envelope and a stamp and go to the It's too many things. Too many things. Too hard. Next up, from Connor Southard. Bam! The funniest subtle self-own on here is when people brag about having never changed their views. Decades of empirical evidence and subjective impressions of the world just broke like harmless waves over your barnacled rock of a brain, which is an amazing burn to me. Barnacled rock of a brain just, it sings to me. Also just particularly relevant for people who never change their views at, at all. all. Hit us. All right, up next we've got Joe. Can anyone answer my four-year-old's question? Would the sun melt a ghost? Oh, that's a tough one. That is a good four-year-old question because I don't know the answer to that. I feel like, no, ghosts aren't vampires, and that's science. Mmm, I feel like it would, but it would just have to be a very, very, very hot. Like, you'd have to be very close to the sun. Oh, like launch the ghost into yeah. the sun. And okay, that would, makes sense. Then it would melt. Okay, next up, from Fire Dad in Mega Dad Industries. Really hate it when my mysterious opponent at the jousting tournament who wore no heraldry pulls their helmet off after beating me and everyone in the crowd loses their shit. Relatable. That's very relatable to me. <laughs> also, big jouster. Big jouster, this guy. Uh, also, A Knight's Tale, one of the most underrated films in cinema history, in my opinion. Look, just because of Heath Ledger. That's all. Fair enough. All right, we got one from Liam. I recently interviewed a 19-year-old who told me I am an old soul. So I, and, uh, so I tend to identify with millennials. Oh which no. Which Speaking of the sun, throw that 19 year old <laughs> into the sun. Oh my God, I feel the oldest now. All right, next up, bam, from Elaine F. Hello everyone, I wanted to let you know a woman just tried to return a croissant because she found out it has butter. Not as a topping, just that it's made with butter, a croissant. Wow, in 2018, who is having their first croissant out there? Shout out to your first croissant, whoever yeah. you are. Hurry up with your damn croissants. <laughs> All, All right, right, we've got tweet of the day. Ready? From Ditch Pony. Two, one. Family, why would you get tattoos? They're expensive and painful to get, and they are permanent. Also, family, have a baby. Woof, that uh, nail on the head there. It's a little too real for anybody who's in their late 20s, early 30s, I'm sure. I am tattoo free, but also Ditto. baby free, and so you know what? Things are going pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so up next, we're going live from the district. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini. Good morning, guys. 
So, Tarini, first of all, there's a tweet from Washington Post Josh Dorsey that reads, quote, I don't have an attorney general. If, if you're the attorney general, how do you respond to the president saying he doesn't have one? So, Tarini, is this different than Trump's previous remarks about attorney general Jeff Sessions? So this is just the latest in their ongoing feud via the media, it seems. Uh, the president made those claims in an interview, and this morning he was asked about Sessions and what he wants to do about this situation. He said they're considering lots of different things. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the president clearly wants to fire Jeff Sessions, but doesn't want to do it perhaps this close to the midterm elections. He also knows that it's going to be very hard to confirm another attorney general. So he just, you know, lets out whatever is in his heart about the attorney general and uh, keeps this feud going. Moving on, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Christine Ford's lawyer said that while she wants to cooperate with the Senate Judiciary Committee, an FBI investigation should be the first step before a hearing scheduled for Monday. Tarini, just yesterday we were talking about Christine Blasey Ford appearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee, but now maybe not. Why are Ford and her lawyers asking for an investigation first? So it seems that the basic point of what they're trying to do is to make this process as um, a, a little less partisan, as independent as it can be. And so the investigation is a crucial part of that that they are currently pushing, and a lot of Democrats are backing them on, on this request. But is this a thing that the FBI would normally investigate, or is this a little bit of a you know, technique to slow things down for, for, you know, for her party? Sorry, for her. So unfortunately, that sort of basic question has also devolved into partisan politics at this point. The FBI has said that they've added uh, the letter to, uh, to Kavanaugh's background file and sent it over to the White House, which sent it over to the Senate Judiciary Committee. But what uh, Blasey Ford's lawyers are asking to actually investigate those claims as part of the background investigation, they're not really asking for any sort of criminal investigation, just sort of you know, to keep going on this background process. Um, Republicans and the president have said that these types of allegations are not usually investigated. This is not something that the FBI does. But what we do know is that when Anita Hill came forward during the Clarence Thomas hearings, um, that, that the White House at the time did direct the FBI to investigate as part of their background investigation, and they did spend three days um, investigating those allegations. So it's, it's sort of a political back and forth on this, as it has become with everything else. Um, and I'm sure that will continue in the next week. So interesting you said three days. We got a little bit more time than that until Monday's scheduled hearing. A lot of people were reporting based off of that letter that uh, she just is not going to show up, Dr. Ford is not going to show up at the hearing. Are we reading too much into this letter and into everything that's going on right now? Like, how did the narrative get to this point? So I think what's happened in the last day is that everything has become focused on the process. Both sides want uh, the hearing to happen sort of on their terms or to get it, you know, to, for Blasey Ford to get that investigation, to have this process be as nonpartisan, as independent as possible. And Republicans clearly just want to do this, get it over with and move on to the confirmation vote. So we're seeing sort of the back and forth happen there. And, you know, they haven't said at this point that they're not going to do uh, that, that Blasey Ford is not going to show up for this uh, hearing on Monday. They're trying to just sort of set the terms um, at this point. 
And one of the discussions about the terms was who would be doing the interviews and of who. Um, you know, senators were kind of arguing that maybe staffers should be interviewing witnesses. But why is it important for senators to be questioning Ford and witnesses rather than staffers? What's the difference in, in what that means? What the Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley has said on that is that he wants his wants the senators to be able to ask the questions that they want to ask, because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to be voting on this. Uh, and so he wants to make sure that the, the Republicans who have questions, who have some concerns uh, that have come up in the last few days, have a chance to ask those questions. Um, other senators have pointed out that maybe it is better for other people to do this type of questioning. Uh, one of the proposals that uh, Senator Susan Collins came up with is that the lawyers for both parties actually do the questioning. Um, as you mentioned, you know, another proposal is that the staff um, does the questioning. So I think we'll, we'll see some sort of variation of that. Um, what, what Susan Collins suggested was that, you know, the lawyers do it and then the senators also have a chance to ask some follow-up questions, which would sort of take care of the concerns that Senator Grassley brought up with, with that type of process. So all the details are still to be figured out. Well, here's a tweet from the Washington Post. Political nonprofits must now name many of their donors under a federal court ruling after the Supreme Court declines to intervene. So Tarini, can you just talk us through why this ruling is significant? So this is significant because, you know, in the last eight years since Citizens United, we've seen sort of this flood of money pour into elections. And a lot of that money is anonymous and what's come to be known as dark money. So with this uh, new move by the by the Supreme Court, we'll get actually a glimpse of uh, who is funding some of these ads, uh, some names of donors that we might not have seen before. So in that sense, it's a big deal. We've seen, you know, people like Bernie Sanders campaign on this issue and a lot of Democrats pick up on his uh, rhetoric. So this is actually a, a first step by um, the Supreme Court that will uh, let us see some of these donors um, that a, a lot of campaign finance advocates and, and Democrats have been pushing for. So what's your thinking on this? Will this actually bring us more transparency in political donations? Or is this something that sounds great on paper, but it's going to be really hard to put into practice? So what's been happening with campaign finance law is that people always find loopholes and a way around things, as we've seen in, in the last you know eight to ten years. And I think there is some concern that that's probably what will happen with this case as well. Uh, right now, the elections are very close, and this uh, this ruling essentially goes into effect immediately. So there's still concern about how this will actually be implemented. Um, the Federal Election Commission is going to be setting some guidelines, and so there's still some uncertainty there and also sort of the realization again uh, that people will people who want to do things will find a way around the law essentially. Well you mentioned the midterms what do we expect how do we expect this to impact the midterms will it have any impact at all? So it is supposed to go into effect immediately. So in theory, uh, if these groups spend over $200 and expressly advocate for or against someone to win an election, then they do have to start disclosing their donors. Uh, but, you know, like I said, the Federal Election Commission is going to work out some of those guidelines because people, there are several groups right now airing ads um, that this could apply to all over the country. So they are trying to figure out how they're going to sort of uh, fit in in the next month as you know right before the election as they try to comply with these new regulations and sort of figure out what the law actually is thank you so much for that tarini it's been great having you today thanks guys 
Up next, I sit down with author Anand Giridharadas, author of Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Stay tuned. This is The Sit Down, and I'm joined by author Anand Girdardas, sorry about that, I tried so hard, uh, whose new book is Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Thank you so much for joining us Thank today. you for having me on this orange couch. It's gorgeous, isn't it? It's great. So in your book, you talk about the idea of fake change. What do you mean by that, and can you give me a couple of examples of that? We live in this age in which rich people, the winners of an age of inequality, are everywhere all around us trying to make change, mm -hmm. right? Jeff Bezos just got into the change game, $2 billion right. philanthropic contribution. He got Gates, he got Zuckerberg, he got Elon Musk. They're trying to change other planets too, mm -hmm. not just this one. Uh, every time you go to the mall, mm -hmm. you got buy this tote bag, change the world, buy this red iPhone red case, water, yeah. change, the, mm -hmm. change the world, charity water, uh, other kinds of liquids. Um, you also have uh, every young person, the, the kind of people who may be watching this show right now, who graduate from college, Everybody wants to change the world. Start a social enterprise that recycles poop into coffee grinds for dogs or something <laughs> like that. You know? And so the question that I became interested in is how is it that we live in this age mm -hmm. in which rich people, the winners of the age in, of, of inequality, are so generous, are so determined to help, and yet the most unequal time in 100 years, mm -hmm. the angriest time in anybody's memory, right. um, an age marked by the total bypassing of half of Americans by 40 years of economic growth. Mm -hmm. And an age, you know, we're reminded last week with the 10 year anniversary of the financial crisis, in which most Americans did not recover because of the recovery, and the people who caused the financial crisis, who are often these people doing galas and benefits and giving money away are the only people to have actually benefited from it. How do you explain this amazing elite helping that is all around us and this amazing elite hoarding. So I, so I set out to investigate that. And what I found was that all this elite helping is part and parcel of how elites maintain a system of hoarding. Okay. They give just enough to keep taking ruthlessly. Mm -hmm. They make just enough of a difference to keep making a killing without regulation and keep their their, uh, keep their money out of the government's coffers. And they change just enough in the world to make sure that their world doesn't change. Hashtag fake change, that makes a lot of sense. So you spent a long time researching the world's rich, going to like your Davoses of the world, your social good summits, et cetera, et cetera. Who, in your research, would you say is the most two-faced elite out there who presents the face of, I'm helping, I'm helping, I care, but behind the scenes is, I'm destroying, I'm pillaging, I mean, I'm it, hoarding. It, it may be the color of this couch that is, that is coloring my answer. Uh, um, but Donald Trump, okay. although he's not exactly what I, the book is about, because mm -hmm. he, he, his philanthropic work is not real, mm -hmm. in many ways he is, when you think about an age defined by billionaire change making mm -hmm. um, and inequality and total neglect of working and middle class people. It's hard to think of someone who embodies that kind of fake change more than the President of the United States. Here was someone who um, you know, I think about as an exposer mm -hmm. and then an exploiter and then an embodiment of fake change. Exposer because he actually, the, the wisdom that he had such as it is. Okay. He understood better than a lot of political players that most Americans felt the game was rigged right. and felt that they lived under an elite of both parties mm -hmm. that didn't actually care about them as much as they claimed. Okay? He actually saw that, and that was the root of the whole thing he's been able to do. He then exploited that 
that anger caused by inequality, by the financial crisis, mm -hmm. by racial animus, by the desire to not lose your country. He then turned that, instead of directing that at elites, at the powerful, mm -hmm. he actually then redirected that anger at Muslims and women and black people and immigrants and, and actually the most marginal people in this society, not like the most powerful. Right. And then he became the embodiment of it because as president, who is a greater artist of fake change than Donald J. Trump? Who has done a better job of pretending to change the world and fight for regular people while in fact just literally dumping billionaires with, with more money through his tax cuts and other policies than Donald Trump? Donald Trump is actually what you get and what you deserve when you fall for billionaires as saviors of the world. Okay, so all that said, these billionaires are still dropping a ton of money out there. So what, is, in your opinion, does an actual Get good... Like, yeah, you never know. I, please drop yeah. what? Right. I'll take those yeah. injuries. Um, but what, in your opinion, does an actual good philanthropist look like at this stage? Like, what does someone who's actually working to train, change the world for realsies look like to you? For realsies, I love that. You know, I think the Jeff Bezos announcement within recent days um, is an important moment because, first of all, he hasn't gotten started yet. He's, he's just starting now. And he's the first mega giver mm -hmm. of this age to come into the game after two things have happened. One, there's been a huge backlash in the tech, against the tech world, right? The conversation you probably have now with guests about big tech is just very different from the conversation we were all having two, three, four right. years ago. Second, there's been a big reckoning within philanthropy. I think a lot of people are starting, my book is part of a larger conversation that's been happening about, hold on, like how do these people actually make their money? Do they pay their workers enough? So the opportunity of Bezos is he's the guy getting into this game at a moment where the conversation is different. Right. And I think there are new questions that someone like him should ask before they just write the checks and roll up the sleeves. And so what would, what would, what would it look like for someone like him to give better? A couple things. Number one, I think one way to say is a good piece in the New York Times about my book today that talks about Jeff Bezos should give in ways that prevent there from ever being another Jeff Bezos. I mean, okay. Which I think means at a more specific level, look at the system atop which you stand. Mm -hmm. Look at what is unfair in that system. Look at your own complicity in that system. And then give in ways that actually break down that system instead of shore it up. Don't give in ways that preserve and protect your right to, um, to win at others' expense, um, given ways that actually help more people win. So, for example, he, his first, fiercest critics would go after him on treatment of workers, pay of right. workers, seasonality of workers. Amazon work. factories, Correct. et cetera. Okay, so you've done that. What's done is done. Mm -hmm. What would it look like for someone like him, who's a young guy, mm -hmm. to spend the next few decades saying, okay, that actually shouldn't have been, mm -hmm. but it was. I want to invest in thinking about the future of worker power in America. I was able to build Amazon because we were in this weird in-between era mm -hmm. where we had old labor structures and unions and regulations and a new reality. And yeah, I made a killing in that window, which is often when people make killings. Right. But that's not, that can't be the permanent condition. We need to figure out new labor regulations. Mm -hmm. We need to figure out minimum wage. But more important, we need to build the future of unions and the future of collective bargaining. Imagine if he spent billions of dollars, mm -hmm. not running anything himself, right. but actually supporting people on the ground. There are very smart people, the Workers Lab in Oakland, mm -hmm. National Domestic Workers Alliance in Chicago, that are thinking very hard about what does worker power look like in the age of Uber and home health aids and the gig economy mm -hmm. and yes, Amazon, um, supporting that. What if on 
the, the issue of education, which he got into with his gift. Instead of funding his own little network of schools, right. Uh, with the kids as the customer. The LeBron model, as the, it were. Yes, uh, you know, and, and, and again, like him running it, his vision. Mm -hmm. What if he supported these very important but unsung uh, legal cases that are winding their way through the American courts right now, challenging what I believe is one of the gross injustices of this country, which is that we fund public schools according to the value of like home prices in your neighborhood. No other rich country, to my knowledge, does this. And it is, a, it is essentially saying, like, hey, six-year-old, like, you don't have an eight-bedroom house, so like, you can't get as good an education. If he were to fund those people fighting those cases, mm -hmm. that would, and he were to succeed, that would hurt rich people like him. Right. But the kind of giving that I'm calling for is giving that does two things. It actually shifts rich people from merely giving uh, a little back mm -hmm. to actually giving something up, actually okay. threatening their own privilege. And... It shifts rich people from crowding government out, mm -hmm. creating their own school. They're, it's sometimes called Mongo, my own NGO, creating their mm -hmm. own thing that they run mm -hmm. because they're so good at running things, to actually standing behind others, supporting others, and then, and this is a very important thing that almost none of these billionaire givers do these days, mainstreaming their little private experiment into government. Right. Head Start, the Rockefellers, mm -hmm at the University of Iowa Child Welfare Station. They did some experiments, right? Privately. Really? Out of view, okay? Huh. Because they didn't know, there was a debate at that time in child development. If you have, you know, in those days they thought about like stock. If kids come from bad stock, yeah. can you do anything? Right. And the prevailing view was no. Bad stock is bad stock. Well, they tested that theory at the University of Iowa Child Welfare Station. They changed the home environment around poor kids, kids from bad stock. And lo and behold, they proved that if you have like nicer stuff and better environment and less poverty and better education, like kids, it makes a difference. As it turns out. As it turns out, stock is only for soup. Um, so what that, but I think today if a Zuckerberg mm -hmm. had done that, it would have just stayed some private program in Iowa. Right. Right? Run yeah. by him. Yeah. What they did was they then pushed that, they jammed it into government. Mm -hmm. Lyndon Johnson turned it into Head Start. Um, and the first class of Head Start had half a million kids. These business people, these rich givers, they love to talk about scale. That's you know what has a lot of scale? The goddamn government. <laughs> that is correct, and that is unfortunately all the time we have to talk about your fascinating book. Anand, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World is available now. More AM to DM is up next. I'm here with the one and only Snooki, super mom, best-selling author, and star of Jersey Shore Family Vacation. Nicole, thank you so much for coming yes, on. Yes, Queen, thank you. So obviously, I was actually in college when Jersey Shore came out for mm -hmm. the first time, the first Jersey Shore. And How old are you? I am 29. Okay. And I was obsessed with it. All of mm -hmm. my friends were obsessed with it. So I have a little thing to show you. Are you ready? You dressed up as me for Halloween. I dressed up as you for <laughs> Halloween. Everyone what do you think? Oh my God, I love it. What do you think? Do you, I mean, I, scale of one to 10. There's no poof, you. I mean, I try it, I don't. There's no leopard. You're I, just tan and orange. Well, that was just I give of, you like a four. A four, really? I think I attempted the poof. Okay. I did a poof, poof attempt. I think that was after like yeah. three tequila shots, so the poof okay. may have been no, a yeah, little. Okay, no, yeah, so it died down a little bit? Yeah, the poof yeah. may have been a little dead A for effort. 
Thank you. Yes. Thank you. That will be the only A I got that whole semester. Thank there you, you so go. much. There we go. <laughs> okay, so obviously you're back for a Jersey Shore family vacation. Uh, what's it like being back? Um, it will, it's a little different just because, you know, now I'm a mom, so I have kids, so I'm actually leaving my real life and not just, like, going and partying in another state or, you know, just being a degenerate. So it's hard in the sense of, like, leaving my family and my kids because I don't like that at all. But um, it's same to where we're still together and we just still get wasted and do stupid shit together. You tweeted that the show is not scripted, but what does happen is the editing and how it comes off. Right. That is not our control. What prompted mm -hmm. that? Um, the last episode, it was just nothing made sense to us because we know what it, you know what exactly happened. And sometimes editing, um, they try and leave stuff out, so they make it seem like something was there that wasn't. So we're not scripted at all. We just go in, we do our thing, but we never know how they're gonna edit it. So like, I could be mad at. Angelina, but they can make it look like I'm mad at Jenny. And I'm like, that's not even what's going on. Was, was so, there one specific instance that you saw and you were like, that's not uh, exactly what went well, yeah, down? Well, I got upset for Jenny because she left for her son because her son had um, a doctor's appointment. So she left for that, but they made it seem like she left because she was mad that I invited Joey and Angelina, which was not the case at all because she told me to invite Joey and Angelina. So interesting yeah so Jenny's not a bully leave her alone but just yeah. the editing really screws her up I mean we love Jenny Jenny was on the show and she was of course amazing. she's yeah. the best so I think social media is a little more a little bigger since the first iteration so do you find yeah. yourself wanting to be more transparent with your fans this time around and share things on social media that happen behind the scenes mm. yeah I feel like we were always like that but now we have the outlet too you know because when the when the show first started we didn't really have um, social media, like Twitter was just starting, there was no Instagram, so now we could actually engage more with the fans and actually tell them what's up. Does that make it more fun for you? Um, it stresses me out a little bit more because they want more information. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm trying to give the kids a bath and I gotta answer you. Um, but it's nice to have that communication with the fans. So, obviously you're a mom now, you and Jenny are both moms. Do mm. you get any pushback? Because we know mommy shaming is huge on Twitter and Instagram. Do you get people who are haters about Surprising you guys going know. out and partying, really? I mean, a lot of our fans who are our moms, they, they know that we're cool moms. We're not like, you know, like the pinky up, like, oh, we're gonna judge everything you do. Like, we're great moms to our kids, but when we're away, we have our mommy time, we get drunk, we're still living. Just because we're moms doesn't mean we're dead. So, um, Luckily, we haven't really had any bad backlash. That's good. That's yeah. actually really surprising. I feel like mm -hmm. people can't do anything on TV, social media, yeah. without getting backlash about mom. So yeah, but even if we do, we don't give a shit. Like, relax, calm down, live your own life, stay in your own lane. I feel like the only way that you could be on TV on a show like Jersey Shore is if you just like don't give a shit what people think about exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So Dina just announced that she's pregnant with her first child. Are you guys mm -hmm. giving her any tips? Um. Not really, not yet. I mean, pregnancy, it's different for everyone, so I just say, I always say stay hydrated and eat. Eat a lot. You can eat a lot, make sure you work out, and that's it. Um, but once the baby comes, obviously me and Jen, you're gonna help her out. We'll watch the baby while she has like her first date with Chris. She's doing it a couple months, so it's you, gonna happen. Do you guys, do you think that'll bring you all closer together now that you're all moms? Um, yeah, I mean, we're as close as ever right now, but I think, Mommy-wise, like she'll understand like how we feel when we cry over stupid things, and she's gonna understand more about like obviously mommy life. So you're not only doing Jersey Shore, you're set to co-host a new show on MTV called Just the Tattoo of Us. Yes. Can you talk about it a little bit? So it's actually a show that came over from um, was it England, Britain, whatever. 
the same thing, right? Yeah. So I came over from there, and um, it's basically just a show where you go in with your best friend, you design a tattoo for each other. It could be best friend, you know, ex-boyfriend, whatever. You're a pair, and you just go in on the show not knowing what you're going to get on each other. So I, I make a tattoo for you, you make a tattoo for me. We don't see it until it's on our bodies. And it's but, like a huge reveal. Would you ever do that with Jenny? No, I would never do that with anyone. No one? No, I wouldn't trust anyone. Because knowing me, if I did it with Jenny, I would put like a big penis on her leg. That's what I would do. That'd be kind of funny. I know, but then it's on her for the rest of her life. That's messed up. So I don't think I would ever do it because I've seen, you know, we just wrapped filming the first season. I've seen the crazy stuff that goes down. I would never do that. All right. thanks for the people doing it. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I probably mm -hmm. wouldn't do it either, but yeah. I'm glad that someone's doing exactly. it. That now you have a show. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we wanted to play a little game with you. Obviously, we have a lot of games here at BuzzFeed. We were hoping you would play Would You Rather. Okay. It's a good, it's a good well, game. That's a drinking game, I feel. I know. Well, just pretend, drink you're, drink water. Just pretend you're drinking out of the cup. Mm -hmm. Okay, would you rather get a tattoo of Angelina's face or of Sammy's? Sammy's. Why? I love Sammy. Sammy's still my best friend. I love Angelina too, but I feel like Sammy would be more clean. Follow up, where would you put it? I would put Sam on my back. I love tramp stamps. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's amazing. Okay, would you rather have Mike babysit your kids for a week or Polly D? I'd probably do Polly because he has a daughter, so he kind of he knows how to be a parent. Mike, he's still um, he wants to be a dad, but he you know he doesn't have the experience that he's not. I guess comfortable with kids, so I would do Polly. Plus, Polly can do like a little party for them. Yeah, get Polly a can DJ. DJ for them. They yeah, can perfect. dance, have apple juice. They can have their friends time. over. It'll be a great time. Exactly. Okay, next president of the United States, Ronnie or Angelina? Oh God, they're both messes. Um. Oh my God. Neither. That'd be an apocalypse, honestly. Either <laughs> one. No. How about like a joint presidency where the whole country just goes to hell? That'd be them. Yeah, there we yeah, go. There yeah, we go. Exactly. Because Ronnie is a hot mess and Angelina, she would shit on everything. So, no. I mean, it sounds like a great, I mean, sounds no. like a great. I will <laughs> Look at that. Great twosome. There we go. Move to Canada. Okay. If you could only be in family vacations for one place for the rest of your life, would you do Jersey, Miami, or Vegas? Probably Jersey, because we'll be home, and it's like our familiar place. Vegas, like you die after two days. Miami gets too hot and gross, so I would do Vegas. Vegas, yeah, good time. Or uh, no, I would do Jersey. 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 Yeah, I mean. The home state. That's where you guys, that's yeah. where you guys started, so you gotta Yeah, the motherland of Guidos. <laughs> the motherland of Guidos. Okay, last one. Would you rather party with Jenny or Ronnie? It depends. If I really want to like get arrested, I'll party with Ron because we're, we're the spiral squad. We go crazy. We could go like two day benders. Um, Jenny is more of like we go out to dinner. We drink a lot of tequila and wine and then we pass out at like eight. Those both sound pretty fun to me. Both sound fun. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Snack Thanks. Jersey Shore Family Vacation comes on Thursdays at 8 p.m. on MTV. More AMCM is up next. Our own Katie Natopoulos tweeted, Someone made a font that looks like Times New Roman, but is ever so slightly wider to make term papers stretch out. Good work, America. 
Good work indeed. Katie's BuzzFeed News' senior tech reporter and teen expert <laughs> joins me now. Katie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your teen wisdom with us. I'm happy to do so. So please explain to me what this font is and how it works. So um, I think the tweet kind of sums it up. It's a font that looks exactly like Times New Roman, but it is like slightly bigger. So you can still do the same font size, but your term paper will be like, it'll fill the page limit a little faster. Um, so the, the people who made it, their estimation is if you have a 15-page term paper, using this font will save you about 550 words, which if you are a very lazy college student, that matters a lot. So how does this stack up to, say, the days of old where we would do, like, the margins or do, like, 12.5? You know, like, the old school tactic. Yeah, so I certainly pulled all of those shenanigans, like, when I was, you know, trying to finish up a paper and I was like, I just, I have no more thoughts, but I have half a page left to fill. Um, yeah, people used to do, like, you'd make just the punctuation marks, like 16-point font, because those would be sort of like sneaky. So I guess the answer is it's slightly easier to just do it in a different font. Um, but obviously, these methods have been around for a while. Um, I mean, I would also put as a disclaimer, do not do this and blame BuzzFeed if your teacher catches you and fails you. Do not yeah, blame not me. Do fault. not blame BuzzFeed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just we're just reporting the news. What you do with the news is up to you, children. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, back in my day, we would just make, like you said, the commas mm -hmm. to a 14-point font, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Um, but what other hacks did you use in college? You said you actually used these, right? Um, I totally did. I would, like, mess with the margins. But I would also note here that this hack, this hack will only work the same with the margins or the other stuff if you are like printing out your term paper and handing it like a physical copy into your teacher because if you email it to your teacher using this font and they don't have this font on their computer which they probably don't because only like a wily kid would do this um, it'll just render in regular times new roman on their computer so only do it if you're printing it out kid. wait 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 that is a big <laughs> if because who actually prints out term papers anymore i don't anymore? know i feel so like that doesn't really right. work so who are the people that invented this, and did they invent this solely for cheating, or...? I mean, so it was invented by a sort of group of people who do, like, a company that makes sort of, like, fun internet things. Um, and, yeah, they kind of, their idea was like, hey, when I was in college, I was kind of a lazy college student who couldn't finish my term paper, so I, like, you know, messed around with the margins and the fonts and stuff. Uh, I think they kind of just made it for fun and not for evil, although, you know, what's not evil these days? Um, but yeah, I think part of it is like when I was in college, I always printed out my papers. I don't know what kids do now. Like, let me know. Do you actually ever print out papers in college? I'm sure some kids, I'm sure there's like some old teachers who are like, give me a physical copy. I'm going to get the red pencil out and mark it up, you know? I feel like when I was in college, it was about half and half. And that was mm -hmm. seven years ago. So I guess, you know, yeah. at this point, maybe it's all almost digital, but... I mean, I'm sure there's professors out there yeah. who still make you Because I feel like stuff. it's like, at some point, some professors are not, they're going to be like, no, like, this is for my preference that I want the physical copy. It's not for your convenience to email it to me. Well, plus they have so. to send it to Turnitin to catch you for cheating on the other things. Okay. That's true. I have one more very serious question for mm, you, Katie. Okay. Chris Branch shared your article and said, this is great and all, but isn't BuzzFeed just snitching at this point? So I have to ask mm. you, Katie, 
Why are you such a snitch? So I think we're the opposite of a snitch because we're actually giving you the tools to do evil in the world. We're not like telling the professors about it. We're saying, hey kids, go cheat. I mean, we're, BuzzFeed is not telling kids to go cheat. We are not definitely not doing that. But uh, we're not telling the professors, hey professors, here's how to check you know, so it's sort of the opposite of snitching. Yeah. It's enabling. How in are you way. doing, fellow kids? We're just trying to help. <laughs> yeah, out. we're really cool. <laughs> I mean, as long as your professor doesn't read BuzzFeed, which I guess you know, maybe they don't. I don't know. You we, know, we we're very small, but I, I would guess a college student mm. would probably read us better, more. I think the BuzzFeed's very esteemed in the ivory tower, so you know. That's true. That's true. They're just a answering quizzes all day long. <laughs> well, Katie, thank you so much for joining me today and snitching on the kids. Twitter, we want to hear from you. What are your favorite cheating hacks from high school? Let us know using the hashtag AMCDM. And don't go away. Up next, Amber and Hayes are responding to your tweets. Hey guys, that's about it for our Wednesday show. Amber, that was great. It's it was, been good. I really like hosting with you. Thank let's do you. this again sometime. Oh, please. <laughs> well, let's just get into uh, the, the final tweets. We asked for your worst group project stories. Katie Tamola said, me and Kat, and we're going to guess that's Kat, not a person, not uh, the animal, had a group project in grad school, our first of grad school. Three minutes before it was time to present, the third girl in our group turns to us and goes, guys, I don't think this is good. And we were like, this party starts in three minutes, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? If there's no time there's then. There's zero time then. I've Get done your... that though, when you Ooh. see everyone else's and you're like, oh, we, oh, no, you, this we is didn't bad. prepare enough. You gotta, prepare, you gotta meet in the library the night before, <laughs> there's rules. Okay, but some of your takes on group projects got pretty dark. Oy. Heather said, Co-parenting. There are a few parent tweets. It's parents. It's dark. Treat yourselves right. A sweet kept their answer simple. All group projects are bad. I mean, normally I would agree with that. I ninety percent of the time, like, yeah, that's true. This group project has been okay. It's been not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. Oh, that was terrible. One He's, more. Yeah. You got me really hard before. That was Gentle. Thank okay, thank you to our guests. Snooki, Anand Girdaradas, Tasneem Nasrullah, Tarini Party, Stephanie McNeil, and Katie Natopoulos. And tomorrow, Hayes will be talking with Chrissy Tigan. Tigan! Woo! Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. <laughs>